to see you good. We're in our Confidence series, and so we're just going to pick up where we left off last week. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading from verse 14. <clears throat> Luke four fourteen. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the pris- for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. As we transition from the wilderness wanderings of Jesus, where we have been into this season of ministry for Jesus in the region of Galilee, we kind of tie up some loose ends as we bridge from one into the other. And as we arrive in Luke 4, verse 14, the first thing that we recognize in this launchpad moment of Jesus' ministry, the first thing that catches our eye in Luke's writing is that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. As Luke records for us Jesus' life and ministry, he draws our focus regularly to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life. Jesus is conceived, we're told in Luke chapter one, by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit then descends on him in this kind of anointing moment as he's baptized in the River Jordan in Luke chapter three. He's then described as being filled by the Spirit as Luke turns us into chapter 4 and this infilling then results in the Spirit's leadership and direction of his function and activity because in verse 1 of chapter 4, filled with the Spirit, he is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And after 40 days of wilderness wandering, Jesus emerges from the wilderness to step onto the launch pad of ministry and he does so according to verse 14 in the power of the Spirit. There is so much repetition with regards to Luke's careful practice of calling out the presence and the influence of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life. In fact, in just four chapters, we see five different ways that the Spirit is described as influencing Jesus' life. Luke tells us that Jesus is conceived by the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. Now these, these are big words and they describe in our minds what are big actions and in, in, in each term it's almost as though one is more powerful than the one before. It's like there's almost a progression that is happening or, or, or a journey that's been outlined for us, conceived, anointed, filled, led, empowered. And we can see this journey of the influence of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life when we look through his life, through the power of the Spirit in ways that we cannot fully understand the person of Jesus came to life, 
How that all happened, how that all worked out, we do not have a clue. But what we do know is that he took on flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. He was conceived through the word of God and the spirit of God, as it were. He was anointed by the spirit in the river Jordan. The voice of God, the presence of the Spirit in that moment of anointing began to reveal the identity of Jesus, who he is. He is the Son. He is the one whom the Father loves. In him resides the very pleasure of God. John's testimony of Jesus was that God had told him, the one in whom you see the Spirit descend, that's the one who will baptize in the Spirit and with fire. He is God's chosen one. The the Spirit's anointing in this moment brought a revelation of the identity of Jesus, testified as to who he is. Coming out of the water, he is filled with the Spirit and he steps into the purpose of God. He is then led by the Spirit and journeys into that, which brings a significant shift to the entire world, a change in the power play at work in creation as he takes his stand against the devil and his schemes and his temptations. And now, empowered by the Spirit, Jesus launches into ministry and proclaims good news to all. There is what seems like a progression or at the very least a journey that can be seen with regards to the influence of the Spirit upon Jesus' life. And what we see for Jesus, we can also see in Scripture for us as believers too. See, if we are born again by the Spirit of God, if we have faith and trust in Jesus, our salvation is transacted in our life through the work and the activity of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's Jesus that has purchased our salvation. It's his blood that has redeemed us. It's his victory that has set us free. It's his resurrection that has awakened spiritual life within us. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit who has convicted us of our sin, who has presented to us the need of Christ, who has brought us into an experience of Jesus and manifest his salvation within us. The same spirit that burst Jesus out of the grave burst our soul out of the curse of death and into life. We are alive in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. We are conceived, that is, we are born again by the Spirit of God. And we're anointed by the Spirit. The Spirit brings to us an awareness and an understanding of Jesus. His job, we're told, is to testify about Jesus. In the same way that the Spirit descending on Jesus and anointing him in that River Jordan moment brought with, it, brought with him a, a testimony, a revelation of Christ, so the Holy Spirit anointing upon our lives brings to us a revelation and awareness of Jesus. That's his job, isn't it? John 14, John 15, John 16. He will testify about me. He will teach you. And 1 John 2 verse 20 and verse 27 tells us quite plainly, we have received an anointing from the Holy One. And these verses tell us that this anointing brings with it an understanding of truth. He is truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That anointing brings to us an awareness and a revelation of Jesus. It says in verse 27 of 1 John John chapter 2 that, that he will teach us all things. That anointing will teach us all things. We have an anointing that brings us into a revelation of Christ. And we're filled. The Spirit lives with us. Jesus says he will be with you, but he will also be in you. So we are and we can be filled with the Spirit of God. And that means to be baptized, to be immersed in the life of God and immersed in the life and the culture of heaven. And and we're baptized for a purpose. In fact, we are baptized for purpose. 
We are filled with the spirits that we can take the life of heaven and the culture of heaven wherever we go. We are carriers of Jesus and bringers of hope. How amazing is that? We are carriers of Jesus and couriers of hope. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are a carrier of Jesus and a courier of hope. Now turn to the person on the other side and say, don't tell me he's going to start all this. Turn to the person next to you, rubbish. We are filled with the Spirit. We're filled and we're led. When we yield to the Spirit's influence in our life, he leads us. He leads us into truth. But he leads us, he journeys us into that which brings a significant shift to our own individual worlds. Because when we journey in the power and the life of the Spirit, it brings radical transformation to who we are. Being led by the Spirit is an adventure of faith. When we journey through every day saying, okay, Holy Spirit, what are we up to today? What are we doing today? Where are we going today? When the Holy Spirit begins to step into our environments and just start setting up conversations or opening up opportunities or bringing people alongside that they don't know it, but they're speaking a word from God right into your life. Suddenly, when we are led by the Spirit of God, it begins to change the way we journey in life. It begins to shift our world view and it begins to shift our function within this world. We are led and we are empowered. His Spirit empowers us to do the things that Jesus did. His Spirit empowers us to see mountains move and strongholds broken, to see miracles manifest and circumstances turned around and the impossible become possible. His Spirit empowers us to keep on keeping on, to to be anchored in times of trouble, to persevere in times of difficulty, to have hope in moments of despair. See, here's the truth. If we are alive in Jesus Christ today, we are conceived by the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. In other words, we function with the same Spirit in us that rested upon Jesus Christ himself. His Spirit lives in us. And if his Spirit lives in us, if the same Spirit that rested on him is resting on us, then we are called to function like him in this world. Child of God, the same spirit that rested on Jesus Christ rests on you right now. And this is something that we need to grasp. The same spirit that influenced Jesus' function is ready and available to influence our function too. We just need to learn to walk in the spirit. As Christ walked through this world in the spirit, we need to be influenced, shaped, forged by the spirit. And let's be clear what that means. See, in our Pentecostal world, we love the power of the Holy Spirit, and so we should. We love the power of the Holy Spirit, amen? The Spirit is powerful, and He is wonderful. But unfortunately, we've become accustomed to interpreting functioning in the power of the Spirit as the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news, to open eyes that are blind, to set the captives free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And all of that stuff is amazing. It really is. And truly the Spirit does rest upon his people and rest upon his church for the purpose of releasing anointings and proclaiming proclamations and announcing and manifesting freedom, ministering miracles and releasing and revealing favor. He rests upon us for such a purpose. 
And those moments and those seasons are magnificent. But there is a problem. The problem is if we only interpret the ministry and the influence of the Spirit in our lives in manifestations. It's a problem if we only see the influence of the Spirit in huge, powerful displays of glitz and glory that cause news to spread and everyone to praise and be in awe. It's a problem if we only recognize functioning in the power of the Spirit in big displays and manifestations. Because if we do, then we miss that there are moments in which the fullness and the leadership of the Spirit takes us into wilderness experiences. Remember, Jesus, full of the Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. This wilderness wandering was as much the influence of the Holy Spirit as the success of the synagogue and the praise of the people. On both occasions, we see the influence of the Spirit, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit But in each occasion, the power of the Spirit and his influence brings about very different outcomes. It was the ministry and leadership of the Spirit that saw Jesus going to an uncomfortable experience in the wilderness. An experience that was trying and testing and far from easy. But it was equally the ministry and the leadership of the Spirit that saw Jesus enter into a season with synagogues full of people in awe and wonder as who he was and of his teaching. Two very different outcomes. Two very different experiences. One we can recognize as a season of favor. The other we can recognize as a fraught season. One we could say was a time of prosperity for Jesus in his ministry. The other was a time of pain for Jesus in his soul. But both were the result of the power and the presence of the Spirit. Both We're due to the leadership of the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? It means two really big things. And the first is huge, and it's this. If you are in a fraught season right now, if right now you are journeying through a season of difficulty and tension and pain and hardship, it does not mean that the Holy Spirit is not in control. If you're going through some stuff that's tough and you've been going through it for a while and you're journeying and you're journeying, it doesn't mean that the Spirit is not at work and He's not bringing leadership and direction to who you are and where you're going. So let condemnation lift from you right now. Let it be lifted. Let guilt and worry be lifted. Just because it's hard doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is not leading. But conversely then, if we say that, It doesn't mean that we always need to be prospering to be under the influence of the Spirit. It doesn't mean that we always need to be seeing manifestations of favor or big displays of power for the Spirit to be at work within who we are. It doesn't mean that we have to say you can never be sick and you can never face suffering and you need to get out your wheelchair and you need to dismiss this difficulty because you're only meant to prosper. Could we just remove that from our theology? Because it's nonsense. 
We shouldn't have this belief that the power of the Spirit is only at work when eyes are being opened and miracles are breaking loose and favor and prosperity is manifesting around every corner. Now, hear the heart here. We believe in the power of the Spirit manifesting in miracles. We believe in the power of the Spirit manifesting healings and proclamations and anointings. We believe that there are moments in which prosperity does visit the journey and the favor of God can be tangibly seen. We're not saying today that we can't build a framework that expects and believes God to tangibly reveal his power in these ways. But what we are saying is that we cannot and should not build a framework that only allows God's Spirit to operate in those ways. Jesus was led into a very dark, very difficult, testing and challenging season. And it was the indwelling leadership of the Spirit that took him there. So a theology of the Holy Spirit that only allows prosperity and favor is not a scriptural one. And it's not a Jesus-centered one. And it must be challenged. And it has to be removed. We, we call it out. We're removing it from our church culture and community. That's not scriptural. And when you look at actually where we've just been, we have just come out of a season that has been profoundly challenging. It's been profoundly difficult for the church. These past couple of years have been so hard. And it's been our own wilderness experience. Now, I'm not saying here that everything that's happened is the work of Satan. What I'm saying is it's wilderness in terms of we've been wandering in an uncomfortable landscape stripped of luxuries that for too long we had taken for granted. Coming together, singing, worshiping, hugging one another, laying hands on one another, meeting together in small groups, being in the room together. Luxuries that we took for granted were stripped away. And we had to wander through an unprecedented, there's the word, and a difficult season. But we cannot say that because it was not a time of direct prosperity, because it was not a time of tangibly obvious favor that the Spirit was not at work. God was prospering his church even in that. He was manifesting favor in his church. But just, just because it wasn't a time of direct prosperity or tangibly obvious favor, we can't say the Spirit was not at work. None of us would say that the Spirit was not resting on his scattered church as we met in our homes and houses watching on screens and stuff. And none of us could say that the Spirit was not moving within his gathered but yet restricted church where we came together in weird ways and with huge restrictions. We cannot in all earnest look back over that period and not recognize that actually, looking back, we can see that God's spirit was leading us. We can see that his spirit was sustaining us during that period. It was hard, but he was there. And I think what we recognize is that what was happening was actually quite profound. Jesus entered into his wilderness filled with the spirit under the leadership of the spirit and he emerged from it resting in, relying upon, functioning in the power of the spirit. We recognize that in some senses, the way he's described as entering in is different to the way that he's described as emerging out. Could it be that God's leadership and ministry has been at work during these past couple of wilderness years to bring a seismic shift within the culture of his people and the shape of his people? 
Could it be that maybe he brought us into our wilderness experience where like Jesus who ate nothing and was hungry, that we have been stripped of our luxuries and of our ministry styles and our ministry practices that we feasted upon but which made us spiritually fat? Could it be that he stripped some of that back? And he stripped it back and he used that season to strip it back to teach us what it is to lean into the power of the Spirit again. Like Jesus that wandered around, ate nothing, and at the end of it was hungry. That as we've been through that period where we couldn't worship and we couldn't do this and we couldn't do that, that actually it birthed within us a hunger to worship again. A hunger to pursue his presence again. A hunger to be with his people again, to gather again. Could it be that he was stripping all of that back to teach us that we need the power of the Holy Spirit again? Ask Elam, could it be that he's brought us back to the drawing board? back to a blank canvas, strip back the norm and the usual, not simply just to bring change for the sake of change, but actually to reshape us and refire us, to refire us with a passion for the Spirit, to reshape us as people of His presence, to reshape us as those that function in the power of the Spirit. We cannot miss the fact that Jesus was full and led by the Spirit into the wilderness, but he emerged from it empowered by the Spirit. Maybe God has sought to bring a bit of death to self for us as individuals over this past period. I don't know about you, but sitting in my house during that period with all connections stripped back, it didn't half hold up a mirror to what was going on inside the soul. And I know that wouldn't just have been me. Maybe just maybe going through that period, God was seeking to say, okay, it's time to die to self because it's time for the children of God to arise and emerge in the power of the Spirit. So death to self, let's deal with the issues. Let's put a magnifying glass on some of those things. Let's expose them and deal with them. And maybe also he sought to bring a bit of death to the self that shaped his church to remove the focus from man and personalities and all of that stuff, to strip back the familiarity, the same old, same old, doing things the way that we'd always done, the structures and the practices, so that we could return to a place of power. Power that comes not from traditions or structures or ministry programs or familiarity, but power that is found from the source of his spirit alone. See, I've come to learn that to be resourced, you've got to return to the source. To be resourced for this season ahead, we've got to return to the source, to the Spirit. We need to yield to His Spirit. The same Spirit that rested upon Jesus is resting upon us right now, right here this morning. Maybe we need to lay everything down and return to that source again. Why do we do that right now, actually? Just where you are, would you just lay it all down? See, we often say this, we can talk as a church as what we want to do, but it's not the proclamations that cause that to happen. It's when we, as the church, take his word and put it into practice. 
It's the only way the soul of this church can return to the sources of every single one of us say, okay, we're laying it down and we're coming back to the source. Why don't you ask him right now just to cause his presence to light upon you again? Spirit of God, we lay it down. We want to emerge from this wilderness season into our Galilee season. And we want to emerge as those yielded and empowered by your Spirit, resourced for what is ahead, because we've come back to the source. We agree this together in Jesus' name. It's interesting that in the verses we arrive in this morning, there's tiny wee detail that is hidden away in the verses that we all too often skip over to get to the announcement of anointings, because we like that bit. And the detail highlights this return to source. It's found again in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. (laughs) It's interesting to note that as we come to Jesus' reading from the scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue, his preaching ministry has already begun. Luke tells us perhaps it's a summary introduction that he later builds upon in verse 16, but whatever way you view it, he tells us that Jesus is preaching in the synagogue and news about him is spreading through the whole countryside and everyone thinks he's awesome because he is, he's awesome. Yet even though we read this, we recognize that it's the scroll of Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me moment that serves as the launch pad for his ministry. This is the moment of significance and Luke in his opening chapters, he packs the chapters full of moments of significance, doesn't he? Well, here's another shift and here's another shift and here's another significant happening. And this significant happening in Luke 4.14 is when he takes the scroll of Isaiah as it's handed to him and he reads the words of Isaiah 61 and he begins his teaching by saying, today these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he says, everyone, this is my mission. These words describe my mandate. This is the summary of my whole ministry, what my purpose on earth is all about. This is what I've been sent to do. This is why the Spirit's influence is on my life, conceived by the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. Here's why. This is the purpose for which I have been sent. This clearly is the launch pad of his ministry. And notice the context, the setting, the way it's all been framed for us. The launch pad moment following which miracles and manifestations and demonstrations of the kingdom take place. It's almost as though here Jesus just turns a corner, puts his foot to the floor on the gas and it's just like full speed ministry of the kingdom from there to the cross. And this significant moment marking the beginning of his ministry takes place 
When Jesus went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath went into the synagogue, as was his custom. This is phenomenal. And that verse, that sentence, and you notice we do try and land on phrases and verses that normally we wouldn't recognize to see the significance and the power within them. But this verse is hugely significant when we understand everything that's happened before this. Major stuff has taken place before this synagogue visit. Jesus has been baptized. The Spirit has descended on him. The Father's announced pleasure over him. There has been this River Jordan moment that we said last year was all about symbolizing Jesus stepping into the role of great high priest. And this moment saw declarations and revelations both by God and John the Baptist about who Jesus is. He is the Son, the beloved of God, the joy of the Father, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, the baptizer in the Spirit, the chosen one. There's tons of stuff happening here. And then he goes into the wilderness and he comes face to face with Satan. He, the second Adam, has rejected the challenge of the devil. He has refused to bow the knee and has facilitated a seismic shift that completely changed the power dynamic for the entire world as a result. And as he comes out of that, he steps onto the launch pad of ministry and to do so, to launch into ministry, he returns to Nazareth where he grew up. He came back to his roots. You would think, if you're going to launch a ministry that will completely transform a nation, do it in a city. You would think, if you're going to launch a ministry that is going to transform Israel, get to Jerusalem. If you're going to launch a ministry that would have a national impact and completely revolutionize the Jewish faith, well, you'd start it in the seat of that faith. You'd launch into your big, this is what I'm here for speech in the temple. The spiritual epicenter for the entire nation. The spiritual epicenter for an entire faith and religion. The spiritual epicenter for an entire people. But no, Jesus doesn't go to a temple or a big city or a massive crowd or an audience. He goes to a small synagogue in the backside of nowhere. Jesus comes back to his roots to launch forward in ministry. And this is seen in him not just returning to Nazareth, his old stomping ground, but it's seen in him going to the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom. It was seen in him going to the synagogue that he'd always gone to every single weekend. And we need to catch this. From heaven's opening spirit descending, voice of God announcing pleasure, from face-offs with the devil to altering the course of history to turning up in the wee church setting he went to with his family every Sunday. He came back to his roots to launch his revolution. See, sometimes in God, the way backwards is the way forward. And we don't like to talk about that going backwards we talk about forgetting the past and not looking back we should only go forwards and we should only ever look forwards and we shouldn't look back the past is gone forget the former things we remind ourselves and when we talk about how going backwards is the way forwards when we're talking about going backwards we don't mean it in terms of style and substance thank god 
We don't mean to live in the past and revisit old methods. But rather we recognize that in the economy of God, sometimes we have to go back in order to move forward. As in there are moments when we have to return to our roots. When we have to come back to our first love. Because we've lost that passion. When we have to come back to our calling and purpose and align our souls with it again. Because we've strayed from it. When we have to return back to seeking his face because we've lost sight of him with everything that's going on. When we have to let go of all the baggage that we picked up and come with open hands and empty hearts and say, okay God, would you just fill me again for the 300 millionth time? When we have to come back to repentance and deal with the hardness of heart and let go of the pain, when we have to get back into the word and step back into his presence, when we have to begin to start waiting upon him again, when we have to learn to surrender all over again, sometimes God brings us back to our roots to launch us into our own spiritual revolution, the revelation of our own soul. There are indeed moments when God brings us back, when he strips things back, when he journeys us back to our first love. And when we surrender to that, even though it's a step back, we tend to find that the result has been launched further forward in his plan and agenda than we could ever have imagined. And I find it amazing that Jesus returns to his roots right after his wilderness experience. See, often the purpose of the wilderness is to position us back at our roots. Why are we going through this? Why are we facing this? Why are we journeying through this as people? Why is the church going through this? And we find that God uses the wilderness moments just to strip things back, to take things away, to deal with the issues of the heart, to hold up the mirror, to bring us back to our roots. Sometimes the way backward is actually the way forward. Are you in a season right now where God's bringing you back? Is he stripping back that which is taking root in your life, which is actually holding you back in him? Is he calling you back to your first love again? To passion? To intimacy with him? Is he putting in your soul a desire for prayer again? For holiness? A hunger for his word? A heart for his presence? Is he calling you to come back and explore and experience repentance again? Is he reminding you of your calling and your purpose again, over and over and over? Is he rekindling relationships and friendships from the past, bringing back old influences that once were and previous connections into your life? Or maybe he's uprooting all of those because it's time for them to go. Is God bringing you back to your roots? Is he calling you, pleading with your soul? ministering and maneuvering your spirituality to bring you back to the place of connection. Child of God, it's not for punishment. It's not because you're not good enough. He's not penalizing you or declaring that you're not worthy. He's bringing you back to your roots to launch you into your own spiritual revolution. The revolution of your very soul.
And it can be hard going backwards. And it can be hard dealing with those things. And it can be hard when you find yourself in those moments and you think this just all feels so insignificant. But you know, sometimes God uses the setting of the insignificant to birth the significant. Like a small synagogue in the backside of Nazareth becoming the birthplace of a global revolution that would alter history. You see, with God, it doesn't need to be big to make an impact. It doesn't need to be loud to be heard. And it doesn't need to be seen to be significant. Sometimes the most significant things happen in the most unseen places and the most unseen ways. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Don't despise the age of small things. Because God often uses the insignificant settings to birth significance. Jesus emerges from the wilderness and steps into a wee synagogue. Nothing extraordinary. In fact, it was what he ordinarily did. His regular became the launch pad of the kingdom and changed the world. See, that's what happens when we come back to our roots and yield to the Spirit of God. The regular becomes the setting of the kingdom. That which we ordinarily do becomes that in which God extraordinarily invades with himself. Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, came back to his roots. He took the scroll of Isaiah and he proclaimed what we call the gospel. Glasgow, as we emerge from these wilderness years, it's time for us to return to our roots. And these are our roots. The power of the Spirit and the proclamation of the gospel. That's our roots. The way forward is backwards. It's time to come back to the power of the Spirit and the proclaiming of the gospel. This is our launch pad moment right now. And the launch pad into this next season of ministry isn't with a brand new revelation that nobody's ever heard before. is isn't with a whole new program of ministry that is unique and modern and trendy. It isn't with the latest big trendy download or prophetic revelation from heaven or the new anointing being released that has never been released before. It's actually quite ordinary. It's to come back to our regular. To come back to our roots. To come back to the power of the Spirit and the proclamation of the gospel. And I don't often speak like this from the pulpit. But I prophesy and declare today, it's harvest time. It's harvest time. This is the season of the gospel. So it's time for us to come back to our roots and let him strip back everything that's in the way and step onto the launch pad for the now, the next, and the not yet generations. God is bringing us back to our roots to launch us into a whole new revolution in our souls and a whole new revolution in the soul of this church. Child of God, church of Jesus Christ, the same spirit that rested on Jesus rests on us right this minute. We are conceived by the spirit. We are anointed by the spirit for this season. We are filled with the Spirit. We are being led by the Spirit. 
And we are empowered by the Spirit for all that is ahead. <clears throat> to be resourced, we need to get back to the source. We need to return to our source and learn to walk in the Spirit again. It's time to welcome the Holy Spirit of God and to take our place and proclaim his gospel.